All right, welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Katie Halper. And it's yet another week in COVID paradise. How are you doing, Katie? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I, I like the stubble. <laughs> well, that's that's not up. a look. That's that's just me not shaving because I'm starting to get into not caring mode. Right. So it's a fail, not a look. Right. This is this the stage of this experience where you have to start remembering to put pants on in the morning and right. th that that sort of thing. So yeah, I'm I'm at that level. But does your beard, does your stubble remind? Are you resembling anyone in your household, Matt? Yes, my dog and I are now having the same. We now have the same beard. She's she's aged, so we both have the same white beard issue, right. which is um becoming a little bit of a, an embarrassment. Otherwise, uh, I'm beginning to have guilt feelings about not not hating the situation. I mean, I think my sort of inner misanthrope is coming right. out. Was it ever not out? <laughs> yeah, no, I guess it was never never terribly inner, but you know, the sort of Jean-Paul Sartre, hell is other people right, yeah. attitude. Um, yeah, this is, uh, except again, ex except for the part where I'm afraid that my life might end at any moment and right. my family's life might be in danger. Uh, I, I don't have a problem with it. But uh, otherwise, uh, news-wise, interesting week. We're going to talk to a one of our favorite friends of show, Jimmy Dore, the yeah. com comedian, podcaster extraordinaire. Jagoff comedian, as he describes himself. Jagoff comedian? Yeah, that's, his that's big good... stick is like, how come I get this and I'm just a Jagoff comedian? I'm not smart. Right, right, yes, exactly, yeah. Uh, a lot of stuff went on this week. I mean, it, uh, as has been the case for quite some time now, there's there's too much news actually to to consume. Uh, we're gonna try to just hit a couple of highlights because there's there were the lowlights. There's some weirdness, some some politically interesting stuff. So uh, might as well just jump right into it, right? So um, what do we have for Democrats suck this week? For Democrats suck, and this was so hard to whittle down, I want to give a, a shout out to Joe Kennedy, and I want to give a shout out in general just for existing, and then a shout out for Joe Biden on Cuba, um, basically seeking to undo uh, what Obama did or promising to not have the normalization of relations with Cuba that Obama had. But for now, I'm going to focus on Bill de Blasio. Um, de Blasio, there should be a Bill de Blasio exception to this this segment. It's just why? too easy. It's too. I know he's and you know he he may or may not be a cuck. I'm gonna go with he is. <laughs> that's he's another getting, fourth wall violation. He's getting. You violated. Yeah. Okay. No, but I'm quoting myself. Yeah, that's true. I guess that's okay. So that's okay. Um, he is. But I've said before on the show, live, not pre pre tape. Um, that he's always being alpha out alpha by Andrew Cuomo. That's who I true, actually yeah. think is a worse, got worse, but right. he's effect like he's no, he's he's like a, a very adept, bad administrator. It kind of reminds me of when Hillary was running and people kept saying she was experienced and very good and effective. And I, I agree that she was experienced. I just thought her experience was incriminating. She, she also didn't seem to grasp that experience was not terribly an asset in 2016 politics. But, right, uh, exactly. Yeah. But de Blasio is, is interesting also because he's um, he, he's physically quite a big dude, I think. Right. He's very, very tall, but he seems always to be intimidated by everybody who's in his presence, which is He has is the not... opposite of Napoleon complex. Yeah, exactly. Very odd, very odd. So what, anyway, what it, it... should we call it de Blasio complex when you're big, but you act small instead of when you're small, but you act. That's big? actually good. A de Blasio complex, because yeah. I think Je Jeb Bush has that as well. Oh, yeah, not, you're an, right. Another very He's tall person who just seems to leap back from his own shadow at all times. Well, what he did this week and just coming full circle with my with my hot take is that 
he's less effective and he's cuckish. Um, so he's actually better than Andrew Cuomo, who's very effective, very alpha, but does terrible things. So de Blasio this week, though, doing his own terrible thing, but in a kind of cowering way, uh, de Blasio pushes hard against moving all homeless to hotels. Nearly 8,000 people, reading at Politico, uh, nearly 8,000 people are still in New York City's dormitory-style homeless shelters where COVID-19 can spread like wildfire, and Mayor Bill de Blasio is thwarting legislative efforts to move the entirety of that population into hotel rooms where they could be isolated. Advocates for homeless people and some providers say the delay could end up with more shelter residents dead or in the hospital, and that the city's position is all the more perplexing because the federal government will pick up a large chunk of the tab. When you're putting out a fire, you don't worry about the cost of the water, said Charles King, head of nonprofit Housing Works. It's a great organization, also great thrift shops. Uh, the administration has relied on changing rationales to justify its reluctance, but the city's Department of Social Services and others in the business of shelters argue the biggest concern is that hotels are inappropriate accommodations for many of their clients, yeah. even in times of emergency. People with mental health and substance abuse issues can't just be dropped in a room, and the city argues it needs the discretion to keep some individuals in more traditional settings for their own safety. Because we know nothing is better for your own mental health, well-being, and safety than being in an overcrowded shelter where right. you are more exposed to COVID-19. That won't increase anxiety or anything. Um, with the battle now in the city council, the mayor's office is not backing down. Great. This is what he's going to alpha out on. So, I mean, I think we're uh, the the unspoken um, undercurrent to this story is just that, I mean, it, it's it's understood in New York that letting the homeless die of a pandem pandemic is probably a political winner in New York City, I think. I think m m most mayors would probably <laughs> take that position. Right. Um, so well, that's that's probably why they're going to the extreme step of not allowing it, even, though, even if the federal government's gonna pay for it, because no one wants to be seen as coddling uh, the, the homeless folks, at least the right. Yeah, but I do think that in the case of well, I think you're right, and that's totally, you know, I mean that's uh, craven and venal. I think that it backfires a little when we're dealing with a communicable disease, because as much as homeless shelter, you know, civilians or housed people don't go into homeless shelters. Obviously, the more exposure, the more exposure, and you know, people who work at the shelters who don't live in the shelters are then going to be that much more exposed. So there's like a public safety hard on, you know, the normal public public safety hard on crime stuff isn't even achieved. So, I mean, I agree with you that there's a, that there is a, especially, I mean, in the eighties and nineties, it was huge. It was kind of overtly celebrated the disregard for homeless people's lives. I don't think that ever really stopped. No, no, no. I don't think it's overt anymore. Yeah. I think there's a mixed optics uh, going on. And it's so funny because so much of the shtick of de Blasio and um, Cuomo is that, you know, they're the good guys and the federal and Trump is the bad guy, which I, I think Trump is a bad guy. But I think these guys are bad guys, too. And they can't can no longer like it's a pretty bad look when you're to the to the mean side of Trump on this issue. Right. And if the federal government is willing to do that, like. Trump should totally troll them on this. Right. Yeah, exactly. But look, all New York mayors are the same. They all end up doing the same thing no matter what they run on. They when they come into office, no matter what their policies are, when they're when they're in the campaign trail, 
they always do two things. Number number one, they end, they end up massively increasing funding for the police and giving out um, all sorts of policy and uh, deregulatory favors to the police union uh, because the because the they're told immediately upon entering office that the only way to govern the city is to have the police on union on, on your on your side. The second thing you do, even Dinkins. Did Dinkins do that well? I mean, some of Dinkins. Uh, yes, some some of some of the more uh, insidious developments in the history of community policing took place on his watch, okay. uh, including the, the the use of sort of broken windows policing. Um, all that started under Koch and then Dinkins on the subways. Um, so yeah, Dinkins did, didn't have a great relationship with police. That's that's right. absolutely true, but the the, the trend with uh with mayors is that they they're told as soon as they come into to office that in order in order to rule the city you have to have the cops the second thing that they almost all do is they do something draconian and nasty to homeless people like they get almost right. instantaneously that that becomes part of the picture for for mayors so uh for republicans suck i've got a good one this week which is another sort of throwback um republican thing this is from white house texas where they have um, they have become the fifth county in Texas to approve arming school officials. Uh, move. Yeah, so Dan, if we could play the video at about the three minute mark of uh, the local reporter in Texas talking about this new measure for the uh, white for the for the uh, school district in Texas that is that has implemented this new what they call the guardian plan. Actually, a third of the schools in Texas that do partake in this program. Um, so I believe that this is the fifth or sixth school in East Texas, school district in East Texas to do this now. Okay, we can stop. <laughs> I just, first of all, I just thought this was an interesting new way. If this is become going to become a a new journalistic trope where you have a video of the person reading the article that you're actually reading. Kind of uh, like us. Yeah, I guess we do that. So yeah, the, the couple of troubling things about this, they, they, it turns out that there are multiple districts in Texas that have already approved this sort of guardian plan. Uh, that, that reporter talked about how some 30% of uh, Texas uh, counties have already have some measure in place where they're, uh, considering this sort of plan, and then she quoted, uh, I'm sorry, in another article they they quoted um, the superintendent of white of the White House School District, uh, Christopher Moran. Uh, the number of participants would not be shared with the public. The board has to approve the names of the participants enrolling in the program. If approved, they begin the hours of training. Uh, who has guns will be a mystery to the public. That's the power of this program. We don't think we will ever use it. We are blessed to live in a safe community. So uh, again, the the, thing, the thought process behind this, and almost all of these these measures are being approved by Republican politicians, by the way, is the idea that, that we're going to arm everybody. No one's going to know who's armed, including the kids aren't going to know. And this is this is part of what's uh, going to make us more safe in the long run. And this is as a vision for how humanity is going to be organized going forward. I think is. Um, a little bit worrying. It reminds me of a, uh, a scene from a, a long lost movie that uh, probably most people haven't seen. It's a Brian De Palma film called Casualties of War, where uh, Sean Penn gives this this speech to everybody in, in uh, his fellow troops in Vietnam. 
Uh, Dan, if we could see this at 37 seconds. Who got a weapon? We all got weapons. Anybody can blow anybody away, which is the way it ought to be, always. Yeah, so we all got weapons. Everybody's got weapons. Anybody can blow anybody away, which is the way it should be always. You know, that was like satire in a movie. It was satire of the extreme jungle mentality of like war criminals in Vietnam. And now this might be sort of mainstream American thought. You know, as a, as a parent, the idea of, of sending kids to school where an unknown number of people might be carrying guns at all time um, really freaks me out. If this, this is becoming as prevalent as they say it is, I really am going to start investigating the moving to another country option. <laughs> this is it's pretty bad. Back to Russia. Yeah, back to Russia. Exactly. Back to back to the to the Ochechestva. Uh, no, I think I don't know. Canada. If Canada will take me, I guess I'm too old to be an immigrant. Apparently, at this point. But how, are you are you troubled by this at all? Or yeah, of course. I mean, it reminds me of OK Jordan uh, Goudreau's plan, right? To right. It is. It's exactly be, his plan. Uh, yeah, but in that case, there's the additional uh, security, private security firm intrigue of pretending to be a teacher, which I liked. Well, yeah, that kindergarten kindergarten cop aspect, and the guy guys has got muscles on top of muscles, and and a bad mustache or whatever it is, and 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 you're just supposed to not guess. I think this is this this idea of this is how we're going to deal with um, the school shootings issue is by arming more people. I I, I mean, I, as someone, I, I'm not a gun person. I can't stand guns. I don't like to be around them. I. I you know, I understand the constitutional arguments for it, but this yeah. this takes it. Um, have you ever shot one? I have, yeah, I've fired guns. You know, uh, but not. I've never had one. I'm, you know, I've, mostly it's been in the course of covering stories. Right. I fired a 50 caliber gun while I was in Iraq once. They they thought it was going to impress me, so they they the the people I was embedded with took me to a place in the desert where we basically cut cars in half with 50 caliber machine guns and I burned myself uh, doing that so but uh, this is just crazy this is this is this whole line of thinking and I just again I just don't understand people who have kids who, who aren't just horrified by this concept uh, it, 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 it's one of the things that thinks makes me think that Americans are losing their minds I, I lived in again I lived in the Soviet Union uh, I was a student uh, in a, at a time when nobody had guns, right, uh, and there was basically no gun crime, right, and it was not a source of particular despair to anybody at the time. And then I watched as that changed instantaneously, and, and we we went straight to a, a situation where suddenly we're like in a place that's leading the world in gun crime, and um, I just never I would never stop being struck by that. So but this whole idea of let's let's put more guns in schools, I just uh you know, to me that's sort of classic that sort of classic Republican dogma brings right. us back to the good old days of, of when when they were right. Republicans were in favor of like all these crazy things and that's why everybody just disliked them. So but um Didn't you see I was just reading something, you saw I, I read something where you said that you saw like dead people on your way to work when you were living in, in Russia? I, I've seen many, I saw many dead people. I saw actually multiple defenestrated people. Not, I didn't actually watch them falling right. out of the window. Oh, right. but that's I, a thing there, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, because remember that we, they had those three doctors who were defenestrated recently. Um, I think that's a thing with <laughs> Russians is throwing people out of windows. But yeah, like that, one of the things you notice when you live in in a country like that is that Lots of sort of basic services take longer. So in the United States, if 
you know, there's a fatal car crash and somebody's dead on the side of the road. Gets cleaned Pre up quickly. pretty quickly. An ambulance shows up and they take the body away. Whereas, you know, I, I've I had passed in Russia, you know, a guy who had clearly been dead on the side of the road for a while and someone just put put a plastic bag over his head, you know, uh, while like that's waiting. the way they killed him or that's the no, way no, 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 no. Like, that's their idea of like decorum, you know, like, well, while 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 we wait these 11 hours, for right. The, Honorable uh, burial. Right. Right. Exactly. And they were gut, but they weren't gun violence. Uh, uh, I saw a couple of couple of, you know, people. I didn't oh, see the shooting, right. Right, right, uh, although I was actually shot. Oh, <laughs> I no. can't believe I'm going to tell the story. I was actually in the middle of a um, gun battle between uh, police, police were firing guns in the air, chasing somebody through a park called Vedenha uh, in in Moscow. I was playing frisbee with a, an American friend of mine, uh, and cops ran right past me with guns firing, uh, chasing some dude who I think had stolen like some very cheap thing out of a store. But they were shooting up into the air. They were shooting up in the air. We thought they were shooting at us, so we like we did the whole full on roadrunner thing and ran as fast as we could in the other direction um did you think like oh i guess frisbee is illegal in this country yeah we thought anyway we, we didn't know we, I, I never played frisbee again the bad part about that is it was a friend of mine had come visit to you know to hang out and i was supposed to be showing him how cool moscow was and you know right away on the first day he's there, he's having to call his parents and say, yeah, we were in the middle of a gunfight. <laughs> I mean, so. some people would pay for that, right? It's like you you offered him an authentic experience off yeah. of that. Yeah, this is a, it was a big pile of authentic. Anyway, um, all right, what do we have for uh, Isn't That Weird? So for Isn't That Weird, we have a story um, about a dad um, who was mad at receiving a parking ticket. I mean, we've all been there. I have a dad who's been mad at receiving a parking ticket, but the difference between this dad and my dad is that my dad did not uh, force a traffic warden to eat the ticket. <laughs> so father of three, Alex Owers, 40, of Willerby Hall, um, also drove to a petrol station and licked a protective screen, then later coughed in a police officer's Wait, we have another face. licking incident? Yeah, I know. It's a thing, right? So um, the headline here, and guess where I found this story, It's a Matt? late motif. It is, yeah. Guess mm -hmm. where I found the story? Breitbart? No, Mirror. Oh, okay, the Mirror. I'm sorry. The Mirror, yes. yeah. yeah. Dad angry at receiving parking ticket, jailed for forcing traffic warden to eat it. Um, a 40-year-old dad who forced a parking warden to eat the ticket that he just issued him has been jailed. Hull Crown Court heard that Owers attacked the parking warden on January 11th after he was fined for parking illegally outside a cafe in Bridleton. Prosecuting, Sue Evans said, he got him in a headlock and said, eat it, eat it now, you can have it. He tried to force the ticket, <laughs> he tried to force the ticket into his mouth and caused his gums to bleed. The civil servant tried to press his panic alarm, but Owers stamped on his mobile phone and kicked him. Several members of the public tried to intervene, some even taking photos of Owers, but he pushed one man against his own car in front of his terrified children. On March 29, during coronavirus lockdown, Owers made his way to a patrol station in Willerby after he'd been drinking. Ms. Evans told the court that despite being told several times by staff members that he would not be served after pressing his face against a protective plastic screen, Owers continued to do so and even licked it. He told them to fuck off and that there were no signs not to touch, but they pointed them out. He started eating a sandwich and drank a bottle of miniature wine. When he was arrested, he agreed to pay for those items. 
When asked by officers if he knew about the COVID-19 outbreak, he said, yeah. He added that he had been to France and Italy, had a cough, and was feverish. <laughs> uh, the court heard that Owers then proceeded to cough in a police officer's face. So we got, li- we got licking and forcible eating here. A judge uh, said... The message needs to be loud and clear that this sort of conduct won't be tolerated by this court. Civil service workers in the form of parking wardens will be protected by the courts, as are the police who are doing a very difficult job in very difficult circumstances. But I like that there's an anti-force ticket eating message that's sent out that's being yeah. sent out loud. Yeah, we can. We, we will not tolerate drinking miniature wine and forcing people yeah. to to eat uh, tickets. That's yeah. a that's an interesting response I, although i have to say i've known a lot of people in my life who who probably would under some circumstances commit an act like that maybe even myself i, I, I feel like sure. my dad actually would like he's not physical at all but he's like when he gets angry but he really loses his temper with part with um car related things mm-hmm. yeah I feel yeah. like my dad would maybe tell someone to eat a ticket but he wouldn't try to force them to i'm gonna i'm gonna plead the fifth on who I know exactly who might be prone to do that, but uh, there, there's some folks. For Isn't That Terrible, um, following up on the Boston Dynamics theme from last week, uh, we now have a new, a new issue in the United States, which is that um, a new form of enforcement has entered our lives. Uh, Dan, if we could look at uh, 154 of this CBS News story, this local CBS News story. In Connecticut, where the Westport Police Department planned to pilot a drone that monitored heat signatures and tracked distances between people. It could even recognize if someone coughed, but it was pulled over residents' privacy concerns. And privacy advocates in the U.S. are warning of the potential for abuse. You can add the ability to do facial recognition or the ability to do license plate reading thermal imaging cameras that can, you know, essentially see through walls. So, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about some of this later, but um, there are hundreds of uh, districts now throughout the United States where we're that are beginning to use drones in some form or another. There there are 43 agencies in 21 states that that have um, received donations from a drone manufacturer uh, which is now giving away its drones to some of these jurisdictions. And there are many more that are using other kinds of drones. And as you can see, the, t- the technology is, 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 again, straight out of RoboCop, uh, where you know now we not only have drones that are like looking at where you are and how far away you are from people, but they're, they're reading heat signatures. Uh, they're measuring distance between people. They're trying to use pattern recognition to see people are coughing, uh, and you know, as that as we heard in the in the tape, just the, the ramifications for this from, for the long term are so nuts because these drones have the capability to uh, detect what people are doing behind walls. They they may fly on on public property, but they may detect activity on private property. Uh, and to to me, this is we're ending we're in 1984 right now, where basically you know it's it's a full surveillance society where everything that we do online is now basically at least passively collected. And now the visual aspect of it is coming into play. So it's just we're surrounded by what in essence are flying telescreens everywhere that are not only watching and listening to what we're going, what we're doing, but they're just seeing what our body temperature is and. Um, I just I don't feel like there is enough discussion of what the long term ramifications of this are 
and whether we're, we're going to be able to turn this off. Because he mentioned something that's, that's super interesting to me is that we've already been using um, a lot of this technology in ways that I think the general public isn't aware of. Like, for instance, there are uh, license plate reading programs that will, if you enter into certain neighborhoods, if you enter into a drug market or a, a, a street where a lot of prostitutes work, uh, they will read your license plates and send, you know, in some jurisdictions, they'll automatically send a notice to your home, which has all kinds of uh, ramifications as well. So I, I'm really worried about this. I, I you know, I, I get that we need to, to keep people away from each other during this, but I will say, Woke button, sex workers, not prostitutes. Okay, um, right. Uh, sex but, workers. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's. I think this is actually a perfect segue into a story that I would love to talk about that you wrote, Matt. Um, mm. But do you want do you want to talk about this more or? Sure, we can talk about it. I wrote a story last week that was where the the plug for it was basically the Flynn case, which we talked about with with Aaron. Yeah. Michael. Michael. The story about General Michael Flynn. But the larger issue for me was the kind of changing attitude of the Democratic Party um, and its, its base the sort of intel- and the intellectual capital that's invested in the Democratic Party, all the different think tanks, they've really shifted their ideas about civil liberties in the last 40 years. I mean, I, I grew up in an era when, you know, me- being a liberal meant opposing the Parents Music Resource Center or Tipper Gore and censorship and always being distrustful of the CIA, NSA, FBI, being opposed to the domestic spying programs that we learned about in 1975. And then later on in the Bush years being, you know, I remember marching in the streets about the Patriot Act and uh, the consequences of all these different programs that they were instituting back then, the warrantless surveillance, everything. And now, you know, it feels like something fundamental has changed in the attitudes of, um, you know, our party, our party, excuse me, the Democratic Party in especially the last four years, and particularly through the Russiagate story, um, and now, but also now in this COVID situation where reflexively people just don't seem to have the, the concern about this that they used to. And I, I don't understand. I, I think, I think it's both wrong and a major political mistake because it's going to end up giving the Republicans, you know, they gave the economic populism argument to Republicans in 2016. If you walk away from the civil liberties argument and, and stop being the party of the ACLU and the people who stand up for people's rights, now you've now you've just abandoned a whole a whole separate uh, segment of potential support uh, with ordinary people who who saw the Democratic Party on some level as being standing up for their rights. I just don't I just don't get it. I don't know how you feel about this. Well, I think that I disagree with you a bit on the Corona stuff because I think that the while I don't think we should not question as as you write at the the end of this piece, you say. Um, my family's in quarantine. I worry about a premature return to work. And sure, I laughed at the Shaun of the Dead photo of Ohio protesters protesting state lockdown laws. But I also recognize the crisis is also raising serious civil liberties issues from prisoners trapped in, a de- in deadly conditions to profound questions about speech and assembly, the limits to surveillance and snitching, etc. If this disease is going to be in our lives for the foreseeable future, that makes it more urgent that we talk about what those rules will be 
not less. Yet the party I grew up supporting seems to have lost the ability to do so, and I don't understand why. So it's interesting. I kind of agree, kind of disagree with you on this point, but I, because I do think there's a difference between curtailing civil liberties or not. I don't think we should do that, but I think it's more of a quest. Like it's when public health is involved, that can surely be abused. And I'm not saying it should be or it shouldn't be questioned. But I think when public health is involved, it's different from when like partisan politics are involved. So I'm much more disturbed by what happened with Michael Flynn, like on its face. I think that's inherently problematic to like glorify the FBI and trapping people, violating the process and all that. Like to me, that's a kind of no brainer. And that's the one that I find more inherently troubling. But what I would say is that I, in what's related to the other part of your thesis, which is that this is a stupid political calculation, is that, um, I actually do see the abuse of civil liberties or the violation of civil liberties as lending itself to a dismissal of, I think that what Trump is doing on, I've said this before in different way, but what Trump is doing with COVID-19 is very reckless. And I think that the Democrats turning their backs on civil liberties makes it harder for them to make the case. I think that it's easier now for people to say, well, you know, Trump is is just fighting for our freedoms. Um, well, right. Right. Because they the Dems can't really go at him from that angle in any meaningful way. They can like in terms of the discourse, but not in any meaningful way. And so if you see the FBI entrapping Michael Flynn, right, you're going to be that much more, I think, um, suspe- suspicious of of the attempts to enforce certain public health measures. Sure. Right? The, the, the two things are totally inter- inter- intertwined, right. right? So if you see, and it's not about just Michael Flynn. It's no, like, I'm just the, using it, as an example, right? Yeah, as, as an example, you go back the last four years, we've just seen this sudden emphasis in well, let's, let's lionize the professionals who work in the security services. Let's put all of them on television. Let's have Brennan and Clapper and Michael Hayden and all these people on as experts. There's just too many of these spooks on MSNBC and CNN to count. We're we're building them up as these are the authorities who really know how to get things done and departing from our traditional district. Like not that long ago, you know, we were very distrustful of these people, especially after the Snowden revelations and during, during the Bush years, uh, then we've done a 180 on that, and now all of a sudden we're in favor of all these very strict measures. We saw during RussiaGate suddenly there was this rush to oh we can't have we can't have fake news anymore, so we need stringent controls on um, on speech. Um, we need to you know we definitely need to be surveilling people who might have had uh, you know relations with a foreign power that's attempting to interview influence our elections. So people see that and they see all this sort of lionization of, of the security services. And then when something like the COVID uh, disaster happens, and look, I, I, I get that it's a public health hazard, but millions of people have lost everything. They've lost their businesses. They can't go to work. It's definitely a class issue because yeah, people right, like you and me, we're able to keep our incomes. Right. Uh, but for a lot of people, they've, they've lost businesses that they spent lifetimes building up. Right. They've invested everything in by government fiat. It wasn't voted on. They don't, they, they didn't have any say in it. They don't, they, they 
probably won't have any say in when it ends. Uh, and then you, you start talking about these policing measures and all these other things, which are also going to affect poor and middle class people more than than, you know, the sort of traditional, uh, you know, uh, upscale Democratic Party. Chris Cuomo, for instance. Right. Yeah, exactly. So you start getting into all these issues and, and, and those people are going to look at the recent history of the attitudes towards towards civil liberties. And they're going to say, well, these people are not they're not talk. They're not even talking about my concerns right. about this right. stuff. Yeah. Let's say to, for argument's sake, let's let's say we're talking about something that is a good thing that's not controversial. Right. Like a public health thing that you and I would both agree is is on the up and up. Right. Like mm -hmm. those things also will be dismissed because of what you're talking about and because yeah. the government isn't helping people and they're selling them out. And we haven't talked about this enough. We should do a whole thing about the HEROES Act and all that stuff. But like that combined with the, yeah, it's just a shit show. And it basically encourages people to ignore the things that even that I think that aren't debatable. Then there's a whole other question about what's debatable, but that's kind of a separate issue. Yeah, so one, one other thing I would say is, uh, yeah, it's a public health issue, but when we're talking about these, um, draconian measures that are being instituted it's always a it's always something like that it's always public safety right so it's always an emergency and if in fact drastic changes are never made in any other circumstances than an emergency right so if you think about what happened after 9 11 right, when it, well yeah and all the warrantless surveillance and torture and rendition and all these other crazy things we have to do that because our very lives are at stake right I get that that happens, but I, but I, the, the reason that this is exactly the moment when you have to double down and say that this is, we remember why people have fought so hard to prevent these abuses in the past is because in these critical moments is exact, is exactly when the worst things happen, right? You go back to 1918, uh, when we're in the heat of World War One and people were terrified of, uh, you know, anarchist revolts and right. bombings and whatever it was. And that's Propaganda when they started doing the, the Palmer raids and all these other terrible things that took forever to unwind. You know, you think about uh, after World War II, McCarthyism, all that stuff happened because people were, were, they were genuinely worried about, they had just been through a world war. They were terrified of having to go through it again with, uh, you know, against the Soviet Union now. So it's always a situation when people are terrified. And this is, so this is exactly the moment when you have to be think, think hardest about how this is going to go for years, right, afterwards. And, yeah. if, and if they're suddenly doing things like implementing, you know, drones everywhere, or uh, if we're wiping things off Facebook because they, they disagree with the WHO pronouncements, which are incidentally are constantly shifting, or if governors are able to eliminate certain kinds of speech that that uh, they, they can argue uh, has had a deleterious effect on lockdown procedures right like there's no there's there's all sorts of long-term implications of, the, of these kinds of measures and you, you all we're doing is trusting that later on they're going to peel this back and then the New York Times did a big editorial about this where they basically said yeah you know there's all kinds of civil liberties things going on now but um, we have bigger worries, so we'll worry about that later on. Like, yeah, okay, uh, but what? The, they, problematic. They, the history of that is that it, right. is that they don't, and like, and and you know, for instance, the, all the 
Dick Cheney war on terror stuff, it, it all had sunset provisions that was all supposed to be wound down and never was right, it expanded. Right, exactly. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think that they're two related issues, right? So one is that we have to be questioning these things because historically they've been misused and they're not these temporary things. They become enshrined. Um, but I also do think that for, to the extent to which like, you know, Trump urging people to do whatever, like the Shaun of the Dead stuff, um, Trump encouraging very yeah, liberate reckless, states and everything. Yeah, liberate yeah. states, right? Like, I think that that the opposition to that is undermined um, because the Democrats have so given up the kind of mantle of of freedom that it's that much easier for Trump to defend that. Yeah, ex exactly. Like, I mean, I, and I again, I hate to bring this up because I was a big supporter. I've given money to the ACLU most, most of my adult life. I, I work with them re constantly on stories over the years from police brutality to other issues. Got a ton of respect for ACLU people, but they're kind of absent on, in this crisis. Like the, and, and they've been absent on a lot of this stuff in the last four years, too. Um, they have abandoned their traditional man mantle, and they are they are becoming another sort of wing of traditional Democratic Party rhetoric. So there's, they're very they're very selective about the topics that they've decided to to embrace, right? So if once upon a time the SCCLU was famous for defending the right Skokie, of Nazis Illinois, to mar right. march in Skokie, now it's the opposite. Now, right. now if you look at what they're talking about uh, it, with the COVID thing, they're picking some very worthy issues right like the prisoners who are being stuck yes, in these terrible the the, the the um ice detention centers right where these ter terrible things are happening um you know they they did also pick uh, they also the the one the, they're talking about interruption of adoption of, of abortion services they're they're just not they're not talking there's they i think they've had one suit on lockdown issues and you know, none on the surveillance issues that I know of. Uh, and so people see that. Right. Yeah, um, there it's pretty on brand for what we're talking about. Right. Like and I mean, I'm pro choice and I think that's, you know, extremely important. Um, but again, that is something that the Dems hide behind to not have to deal with other issues. Um, I'm not encouraging them to, you know, abandon it obviously to abandon it yeah exactly right. but it but it, it's it will become very easily to say oh here, look this is what they care about they they, they care they, they care about prisoners immigrants and abortion services uh but not but of not, course they don't even care about immigrants or prisoners they do in their discourse but they don't actually do anything about it i mean the dems i mean sorry i mean dems but yeah no i know i mean the aclu right like that oft quoted voltaire maybe apocryphal quote right like I may not agree with you, but I'll fight to the death to defend your rights to say it. Um, like that is a basic liberal tenant. Like that is not a radical thing in American intellectual, political history and philosophy. And so it is really weird to see. I mean, the whole point of, the, of that thinking is that as much as you may dislike Michael Flynn, you, you still want the rule of law, right? Like right. that's and what... Yeah, the, to use the, him as a recent example, but yeah, yeah to, to use that case as an example, do we really want, um, for instance, Donald Trump using the FISA Amendments Act of 2008 to listen in to Democratic Party politicians or the, you know, and, and to 
um, and to leak the intelligence that comes from those those surveillances to the newspapers. Uh, you know, I don't I don't think that's a power that anybody wants any politician to have. Um, but the problem is because it's Michael Flynn and because it's this case that people are so worked up about, they can't they can't separate the two things. So I, I just the reason I wrote that piece is because I, I think you know this is something that is probably uh, more in the forefront of the minds of conservatives right now than it is for Democrats. They don't I don't think there's a lot of thinking about how this looks um, on the outside. Right, and they have such tunnel, like such an echo chamber. Right, and but but you know, to a lot of people in this country, the fact that Democrats did in the past fight for certain kinds of rights, uh, speech rights especially, um, you know, association, all those things, and and was a place where you could go if you felt that you'd been, you know, unfairly uh stripped of your constitutional rights no matter what your beliefs were um the the fact that that's changing has has become an- another reason for people to kind of go to the republican party because they're they're not going to take that that man right and yeah. also i mean i think that trump would try to do whatever he wants to do anyway but i do think that one of his strongest tools is his ability to call out hypocrisy and yes, he's a hypocrite. I'm like already anticipating the, the response to what I'm saying. But his hypocrisy doesn't matter because he never claims to have any consistent ideology or anything. And right. he's already exists in that lane. No one showing his hypocrisy harms him. But his showing the hypocrisy of the people who claim to be on the up and up and committed to principles is very damaging. I always remember him talking about Hillary Clinton's super predator comments during the a debate and remembering that this is a guy who, you know, wanted the death penalty when the Central Park Five thing happened. Like, this guy is clearly racist, but it kind of doesn't matter because he doesn't pretend to be an anti-racist, whereas Hillary Clinton did. And right. so, you know, and the Dems do, and that is, and, and a lot of Republicans do too, but um, not in the same way. So, yeah, people, like, again, there's this, like, Democratic, liberal dinner party circuit that's like a feedback loop echo chamber where people really think, you know, the walls are closing in. Here's a smoking gun. They don't understand or, or get how people, other people see this. Yeah. The hypocrisy thing is a big thing. And and people at Fox News have become expert at, at right. pounding those themes over the years. It's very, very fruitful uh, when you have uh, open contradictions and rhetoric from Democratic Party politicians. And then I think with this with this Russiagate case also over the last four years, the degree to which, you know, the, the same people who not that long ago were enthusiastic advocates for Chelsea Manning and Julian Assange uh, and, and you know, claim to be very, very upset about the behavior of, you know, the, the NSA uh, when the warrantless surveillance program got released and the data collection and uh, all that stuff, how they suddenly became very enthusiastic proponents of the use of those same programs when you know, it became politically expedient. That's exactly the kind of thing that Republicans are expert and at, onto and at, at, at mining. And, right. and look, it's going to become, it's going to become a major issue in this, in the general election campaign. Like it's, They've handed Trump something that he didn't have otherwise. So right. 
anyway, but, but that's that's what that piece was about. I know I know there was a lot of folks who were upset about it, you know, because the the, the, the typical answer is why aren't you focusing more on what Trump's doing? Right. And well, mainly I'm not a Republican. I don't care. I, I don't, you know, I, I'm exactly not going never yeah. going to vote for the guy. Like I worry about what what people like me think. That's the irony is that beyond the principle, like what these people don't realize is that they are emboldening Trump and the criticism that we're engaging in of the Dems is actually the thing that could like empower Dems. Right. Yeah. Like that. So there are two issues. One is that like we care about principles and and, you know, cherished free whatever like certain um ideals but then the other thing is like again there's some I, I tweeted this the other day that there should be some german word for like i'm too close to something to see it rationally where you actually <laughs> a, a 91 like, syllable word yeah yeah, yeah. if being yeah. too close to something to see it rationally or even protect my own self-interest drome um, yeah, let's let's get some of the German scholars among us to tell us what that word would be. Yeah, I, that's actually a fun exercise. I've done that before. Right? Yeah, have we people, should. Yeah. yeah, we should. We should have a German of the day or whatever. German, German, German word, week. Germanism yeah. of the week. Yeah, yeah. but I yeah. think it's true. You see that with the Dems. You see that with Israel, right? Like the people who are super, you see that with America. So the people who are like, rah, rah, USA, USA, let's um, invade Iraq. Their position was actually way more anti-American than the position of people who are saying, no, don't do that. And the irony is the people who are saying invade Iraq, rah, rah, go USA, go USA, are the ones who identify as kind of nationalists or patriot, patriots, right? Mm. Whereas like, I don't identify that way, but yet the position I and many others were, were staking out was the pro-American position because that was the position that would have prevented a lot of bloodshed, instability, you know, that would have cost Amer that wound up costing American lives and money. So mm -hmm. it's this thing where like there's an irrational thing going on around supporters of it. Same thing with Israel, where people support policies that are actually very bad for for Israel. Um, and same thing with Demo the Democratic Party, where you have someone like Bernie Sanders, who doesn't identify as a Democrat. And yet so many of the things he fought for, um, had they been implemented or championed, would be helping the Democrats. Well, one last really short thing about this that I think is kind of key is that when we talk about um, state power and how that looks to voters, I think there's a huge class issue here. Like, and I know this is from talking to people um, on the campaign trail for years. You talk about government regulation to an ordinary voter. What that is to a person in, in a small town is the health inspector who comes in and, you know, writes you up for 17 code violations that are end up going to end up costing you $5,800 to fix and, and, and put you behind the eight ball for the next six months. It's not the person who's going to crack down on Goldman Sachs uh, or, you know, that that's what regulation looks like to an ordinary person. So there's, there's this split in how people see, um, see these two issues, right? So, so to, to an upscale democratic voter, when we talk about, increased regulation it means one thing and when you when you talk about it to a middle, middle american voter it means another thing when we talk about civil liberties violations and and you know these these sort of larger issues of speech freedom like right to run a business to to an upscale college educated blue state voter that sounds like uh you know ayn rand libertarianism where we're just giving corporations the right to rough, run rough shot over people, ride rush out over people. 
to, again, to a small town person, when we're talking about what's going on with the COVID thing, it, you know, it's somebody who's got a, co a, a copy shop or, you know, uh, or some small business that has been shut down by a governor and they, they have no idea when they're going to be able to, to make money again, right? So it's a, it, there's a class split in how people perceive these things. Uh, and I, I think it's often overlooked in the press because most of the people in the press live in that other universe. And, and so they can't see how that, that thing. And I, I worry about that too. Anyway, yeah. and, uh, that dinner, and that dinner party universe that, uh, we need a German word for that also. Yeah. The dinner party universe. That's a good word. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's an intellectual abstraction right. for, for some people like, uh, and it's a reality for, for other people. So, yeah. And also if the government were more responsive to people's needs, then they could be doing that stuff, like shutting down a coffee shop because they would be protecting the coffee shop owner or the, this person, that person, you know, but it's their disregard for them on the on economic issues. Sure. Right. And, and I should just point out really quickly, though, is that, of course, big companies use that to their advantage to argue for deregulation. Of course, they're latching onto that voter and they're using groups like Alec to, 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 to confuse the issue and say, you know, when you're voting for a deregulation, you're voting for freedom for yourself from all this intrusion. Uh, but that doesn't change the, how that issue lands on the ear of a lot of right. people. Right. So, and just, the, and the, and the pro, I mean, the, and the problem is because of the way that the Dems and Republicans too, but both parties sell people out, sell, you know, the middle and working class out they don't have the kind of ability to counter that the way they could if they were being, you know, caring about this response to this. One, the other thing I just want to say is I actually think that Assange, Chelsea Manning, and Snowden had already been abandoned by a lot of people. That's once, true. Once, especially because once Obama was president, I remember Glenn Greenwald said this on, on my show once, that if Obama, if, if Snowden had exist, you know, had been talking about saying what he was saying about Bush, not about Obama. Yeah, people would have been in the streets. He would, and there would be a. He said there'd be a monument uh, erected for him of him outside of Thirty Rock, like outside of MSNBC's, you know, offices. Um, and I also, I mean, people, liberals calling him a traitor was absurd. Um, Assange is, I feel like from the get go, Assange was totally vilified. Yeah, and not not that there aren't reasons to have issues with 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 Assange, except that there, it's more the. For me, it's that it's always been there that the larger issue of prosecuting him would once upon a time have been a major concern of groups like the ACLU because it, it speaks directly to press rights, right? So right. If, if, you, if you can be prosecuted for merely possessing certain kinds of secrets, you know, the like Official Secrets Act kind of power, um, you know, that has major ramifications for any kind of journalist, not just you know, right. WikiLeaks. And once upon a time, I think people would have cared about that. But now because it's Julian Assange, and especially after 2016, people just don't want to hear it. They don't, they, they aren't interested. So it, it, yeah, it just all falls into the same pattern. All right. So we got a really interesting interview coming up with uh, one of our yeah, all-time all favorites. favorites. Early guest, yeah, yeah. EG. EG, EG, OG. Uh, not an, not an OG, yeah. An, yeah. an EG. So we're going to talk to Jimmy in a little bit, and um, and we'll check in after that interview. Talk. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> we are so excited to have joining us Jimmy Dore, host of The Jimmy Dore Show, comedian, performer, um, 
talk show host. Uh, author. 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 Right, author, that too. And yeah, basically a renaissance man. We're, we're laughing because Jimmy was encouraging Katie to sell the intro <laughs> right. uh, off, off the air, and she really sold that. I, so, I did, right? I was a little yeah. deadpan and understated the, during our last interview. I think it was a little self-sabotaging, actually. Like, you went, you went a little too far, like you, were, like you resented the instruction. There's the line. I can feel the hostility. No, I'm smiling ear to ear for people who aren't watching, but just listening. I think you can hear me smile, right? It's like all the, all, it's all the warmth uh, a cashier packs into have a nice day. You know what I mean? A very nice cashier. Yeah. Yes. How have you been, Jimmy? Um, I've been great. I've been enjoying the, uh, the apocalypse and I've been, and I've been enjoying watching. It's as if a foreign government has taken over America and is trying to destroy it. But it's not a foreign government. It's our government. So (laughs) I've been enjoying watching that show. And I've also been enjoying watching the media protect the government as it does it. It's kind of hilarious. It's Um, very sad to watch your videos now at the end. It's so it's so sad because you go, this is where I would tell people about the live shows coming up, but we don't have any. So. Yeah, I know. And then I would tell you to go join my premium, but nobody's got a job. So just enjoy the video. Right. I just wanted to say, I don't know how you are all feeling. I am ready uh, to go out and get this virus and get back to life. Um, I, I was just saying before we started that it depends on what the death rate is. If the death rate's under 1%, I think we're overreacting. But right. I don't know what the real death rate is. And so there's a lot of people making a point, and I think it's a good argument. I think it's worthy of debate that if the pain and suffering, meaning death, which would be created by an economic depression, which we're creating, it, that that will cause pain and death. Uh, so if that pain and death caused by the economic devastation and depression that's coming that may never leave, if that is greater than the pain and suffering caused by the virus, then we're not making a rational choice. Right. But we need to get the right data. So I don't, I, you know, you keep getting, uh, people are under, they, some people say they're under-reporting the deaths and then, then you hear they're over-reporting the deaths. They're telling doctors in the hospitals to over-report, doesn't matter. And then they're saying, well, people are being buried and they don't know if they died from it. Right. And so I don't know what the real numbers are, but I'm, so that's what we got to get to because there's a lot of pain and suffering being caused by this. And by the way, our government and the oligarchs use this crisis to loot the, the and uh, the, 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 the metaphor Dylan Radigan used on my show is let's think of the United States as a car and your car broke down on the on the freeway and it's out of gas. Everybody knows you want to put more gas in it. Instead, what the government did was they came in, they stole the tires and ripped the radio out of it and they <laughs> left it without gas. Right. Yeah. And that's what we're living through. And I see, I don't know if you've experienced this, but when I watch other news, people have no idea what's coming or what really happened. They have a vague idea it wasn't good enough yet, and they still think we can fix this. They have no idea that the, gov- that the country has been given over to rapacious oligarchs, and our country's not going to look the same coming out of this ever. And the people who were supposed to do something about this and step on the brake pedal and sound the alarm did not do that. And this was the their moment. And I keep seeing news people say things they they were they're treating the CARES Act like it was just another vote instead of what it really was, was the biggest upward transfer of wealth in the history of humankind. And it will remake this country forever. 
and people have no idea what's coming. We're going to have a permanent underclass. We're going to have permanent long-term unemployment. We're going to have uh, states reducing services because people can't afford to pay taxes and states have to balance their budget. And we have a bunch of rapacious oligarchs live in Washington who aren't going to help us. How, and we have a bunch of progressives who we thought were going to fight for us who are rolling over at nuclear speed inexplicably with not getting a goddamn thing back. At least Mitch McConnell, you know what he's getting. What the fuck is the squad Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren getting? They're getting nothing except invitations to parties. Okay, this is that area I definitely want to talk about with you because yeah. you, you, you've tweeted out things like Bernie is a complete hack now and sad. And, it's unbelievable right? what has happened to Let, him. Let's explore that. Like, what, what, what are your chief complaints? Like, I mean, the, the CARES Act is a big one, right? Because that was a, that was a whole thing. radical radical piece of legislation that all these people voted for um but what is that the, is that what you're, you're talking about or is it the supporting yes. biden and yeah, okay mm -hmm. no it's all of it but it, it starts with the cares act mm -hmm. so and people say well what did you want bernie to do people who have no idea how government works people have no idea what's inside the cares act people have no idea how you're supposed to pressure politicians instead of defend them they say things like well what was a bernie supposed to do what are you in sixth grade why do you think they give the power to every single senator to stop a bill you can put a hold on a bill why do you think they give them that power so they could use it when it's important Right. So, yeah. What, and Which actually what, has always been one of Bernie's points. And he never and he didn't do it. He didn't try to he didn't put a hold on the bill and then try to alert the country what was inside the bill, because I don't even think he knew what was in it because he didn't write one sentence of it, even though he pretended he did. People pretended that Bernie Sanders uh, did, did something for that bill when he gave a grandstanding speech. And then he sends me emails telling me all the stuff he got for me in that bill. It's maddening. And oh, by the way, the rest of the progressive politicians. And then I turn on the news and I see progressive news people saying that they're heroes. Right after the Cures Act had passed, they were calling Bernie Sanders, uh, Sanders a hero. And, uh, and other people in Congress, too. And I'm going to tell you, there's no heroes here. There's nothing but bad guys who are doing evil things to our country while trying to distract us with online news shows with Cardi B. That's what Bernie Sanders has turned into, a late night talk show host who's completely ineffective as a senator and tweets out platitudes and will not use the power of his movement to get anything done. The reason why you don't drop out of a presidential campaign when half the states haven't voted is because you're supposed to be leading a movement, you fucking jag off. You're not supposed to be Oh, it's that's not what the leader of a movement does in the middle of a campaign, drops out and tells you to endorse. Hey, everybody's not only that, but then shames his own supporters into voting for the problem. And Bernie Sanders is actively lying to his own followers and the country by telling you you need to vote for Joe Biden without telling you he's demented. And all he has to do is say Joe Biden is obviously demented and I should be the nominee. This is ridiculous. You guys are lying. You're saying Trump's a liar. What are you doing? You're trying to gaslight the entire country by serving them up a hot piece of garbage, a dementing, a demented walking death rattle who they couldn't even beat in a fucking primary. They're going to put up against the guy who they say is an existential threat. This is an unbelievable failure and a collapse of government, the Democratic Party and our entire society. And Bernie's voting for it. Okay, we've we've had this discussion a lot in the show. Like, 
is somebody in Bernie's position, is it his, is his, is it his responsibility <laughs> to threaten to take his voters elsewhere, right? Like, is that, is that, is that so, what they well, should be doing? Yeah. Or, or, Let's or, say, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was yeah. going to say on a related note, maybe a good way to structure this question is like, let's say, Jimmy, that you were running Bernie, that you had been running Bernie Sanders' campaign, right? He would have uh, won. Right. <laughs> so how, well, okay. So let's say you're running his campaign and we get to the point where we're at, where the, there's a moderate consolidation um, and all that stuff. What do you tell him to do at this point? Well, first of all, I would have been uh, priming the American public for that moment to happen. I would have been saying, watch, I don't know what they're going to do. I would have you would I would have started by pointing out how they cheated in 2016 just to remind everybody what happened. In fact, I would have never let them forget about it for the last five years. But he did on purpose. And so when that happened, you could point to it, people you could see and then people could put those uh those pieces of the puzzle together in their own, own head. And then you say, and they're doing this at the behest of Barack Obama, which is another guy he never made a critique of, which is why his campaign never had the oomph it should have had, because who is he fighting against, Donald Trump or the Democratic Party? The problem is the Democratic Party, we all know that, which is why he lost those white working class voters. So what he should have done was call that out, and then he should have said, do you know what they're doing? They're coalescing, the corporatists are now coalescing behind a guy who has visible dementia. That's how desperate they are to cling to power. And he would, and that would have changed the narrative. Over, They won't even talk about his dementia when he can't answer a question in a news interview. They won't even say, are you feeling okay? Hey, has your doctor said you don't have dementia? No, they won't do anything. It's really I, elder abuse to not right. say anything. That, well, yes, it all started with not questioning. Well, it, it, there's, a, it's, there's a new... Uh, you can say Donald Trump has dementia till the cows come home, right. but you can't bring that up around Joe Biden. Somehow then you turn into some kind of crazy bad journalist. An ableist. You're being ableist. Woke button. We'd have to hit the woke button. So that, so that's what I would have done with Bernie Sanders. And all he has to do still to this day is say, hey, let's stop this charade. Joe Biden can't even finish a goddamn sentence because you know who is saying that? Donald Trump. Right. <laughs> so it's going to be said. So that's the point of a primary FYI is to you test the opponents and you see how they react to these attacks and their exactly. vulnerabilities. Right. So when they go into the general, this has already been sorted out. This has not been sorted out, just like it wasn't sorted out with Hillary Clinton. Right. And, you know, Bernie Sanders, instead of saying it's important that the nominee who's being investigated by the FBI, we understand what that investigation is about. Instead, he said, I don't care about your damn right. emails. Enough and then he the said, and every emails. time yeah. somebody asked him in 2020, hey, do you think Joe Biden can beat Donald Trump? He said, of course I do. Joe Biden is a great guy. He's a friend of mine. And he can beat Joe, uh, Donald Trump. Well, guess what? You just forfeited the election. You right. Just Why am I voting for you then? I'm, right. Why would I vote for you? Because they told me if I vote for you, every time I turn on the TV or read a newspaper, if I vote for Bernie Sanders, we're going to lose the House and the Senate. Right. So I'm going to vote for Joe Biden because of what Bernie Sanders just told me. And why is Bernie Sanders saying those things? It's obvious why he's saying those things. It doesn't take a genius, which is why I know it. He's saying those things because he's weak cowardly and doesn't want to end up like Ralph Nader. So he's willing to sell out the entire country at this moment when we need him more than ever because he doesn't want to be 
treated like Ralph Nader was treated. And that's a fact. If you can tell me another reason why he would do the inexplicable garbage he's doing, I'm open to hear it. But nobody can come up with an idea. They like to blame everybody. I saw an interview the other day of a Democratic apparatchik who was on his unity commission, who doesn't blame Bernie for his own goddamn campaign and capitulation. He blames the aides underneath them. They blame the aides underneath them. Because that's what that saying was, right? The buck stops somewhere underneath the top. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think that um, there, the only other option, right, is that about what is motivating Bernie now. You could say to play, to be as charitable as possible, right? You could th say he knows that the Dems won't let him win. And so the own like the DNC, sorry, he knows the DNC won't let him win. So if that's true, then he needs to back the guy who's who's in it. Um, I yeah, don't but, necessarily agree. OK, yeah, pu go push back. OK, but yeah, but w w why over for decades have Democrats always worried about what the, the voters in the middle are going to do? Because they're worried that the voters in the middle are going to run to the Democratic Party because they will. Right. And it, what what Bernie's doing in this moment is signaling to everybody that you just don't have to worry about our voters because we're, we're going to be there. Right. We're going to be on board for you. Uh, right. And which right. just is, is an open invitation to ignore all these people. Yeah. I, I mean, well, right now, right, right now, Bernie Sanders is at, at the end. He concluded his campaign, called it a victory because he's got these uh, task forces, right, which are less than a joke. He, he's he's such an ineffectual leader on purpose that he couldn't even get Nina Turner on a task force yeah. that is meaningless, which, again, right. at the same time, you, the, 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 the congressionals, the congressional Democrats are passing a HEROES Act, which is just a wish list anyway, which doesn't even have progressive priorities in it, even though they know it's not even going to pass. That's how bad it is. And the progressives won't even stand up to Nancy Pelosi. So I've been on a tirade trying to get uh, the Democrats who are considered progressives uh, to call out the leadership. They keep pretending it's the, the Republicans that are the problem when we all know it's Nancy Pelosi engineering this along with Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump. So uh, this, uh, just as Nancy Pelosi rips up his speech, she's passing his legislative agenda, right? right? So just as she's uh, uh, calling him fat or whatever, she's humiliating the Progressive Caucus once again, humiliated, and they still vote for her. And I, I, I'm gonna echo what Norman Solomon said last fall when he wrote an article uh, after the entire Progressive Caucus, including the squad, voted to expand the security state and, uh, and give more spying powers. And he said, what is the point of voting for progressives if they're just going to vote with the security state anyway. And I say, there is no point, Norman. You are correct. And I say, what is the point of voting for progressives who don't take corporate money if they're going to take instructions and bend the knee from the people who do? The only reason Nancy Pelosi is powerful and they're afraid of her is because she takes the most money. She's the most corrupt person in the Congress. And then she distributes that money. That's where her power comes from. And they don't take that money, yet they bend the knee to her anyway. It passed 96 to nothing. The ultimate screwing of America, they got cover for it. The evil oligarchs got cover for it. So Bernie Sanders and the progressives went from just being, um, uh, I don't know, ineffectual 
or, uh, but they went to actually doing evil by then giving cover for this horrible bill. Because now everybody can say, what are you talking about? It passed 96 to nothing. And you're saying this is the screwing of America? Well, why would Bernie Sanders vote for a thing that screws America? Why would Elizabeth Warren vote? So they literally did evil. It wasn't, they're not just making bad votes or they didn't know what was going on. the bad guys. They're not, yes, and towering and giving cover to. And if you're not angry about that, that's a defect inside of your personality and your intellect because you don't know exactly what's happening and you don't realize the seriousness of the situation. Just like people who try to dismiss Russiagate as, oh, who cares about that? Well, because you don't understand the ramifications of the last three years of Russiagate, that's why you try to dismiss it. Just going back to the CARES Act, do you think that they, they're they doing this because they want to cover it up or because they don't understand what the what's in the bill? Like I, they, they don't I, understand. They didn't. I don't even think they understood what was in the bill. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupt you. Yeah, because no, when I when I first started calling around about it, there were like there were two huge things that I think many members of the caucus didn't get. One was that the, the tax break in the bill, like they didn't score it until after the bill was passed. And it's like a hundred ninety billion dollar tax break. So it's as it's as big as some of the bailout programs. Then the 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 fact the idea that the four hundred fifty five billion dollar Wall Street side of the equation is going to be leveraged up at least ten times. So it's really you know like a four trillion or four and a half trillion. Yeah, and and I, I think they didn't understand that because people will tell you, oh, three fourths of the money went to ordinary people. Like they actually believe. I mean, I guess the question is, do they not know, or or, or are they being, you know, insincere? I I, I don't know. Uh, I can't judge why they're exactly why they're doing exactly what they're doing. Uh, it's sad if they don't know. I think that's even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you don't. Know. So Matt Stoller was on my show, and he said that Bernie doesn't know what was in that bill. I don't know how he would know that, but I guess because he, you know, he's worked in Washington a long time and he's worked uh, with So it seems to me that from what I can ascertain about Bernie's personality and the way he works from other people who have worked with him is that he doesn't go into the weeds. He doesn't listen. And he just has if 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 if, uh, you know, if it doesn't relate to his stump speech, he doesn't really have anything to say about it. And so I don't know why they exactly did it. If they didn't, I have a feeling they didn't know what was uh, going to come from the bill, what the ramifications of it actually were, uh, which is just goes to show their incompetence. Once again, you don't have a financial guy on your staff. You don't have a guy who knows how Wall Street works, how the Fed works, how all this shit works. And yet you think you're going to be able to legislate for people. You don't know. Then, then you're, again, a fucking loser. And it's a waste of a vote for you. And but what Bernie did and Warren, what we actually did, it was on purpose. So when AOC gets up and she starts waving her arms and screaming against the Republicans and saying this bill has crumbs for working people, she's right. Yet she only calls out the Republicans. So if she knew there were crumbs in it for the working people and she screamed about it and that video went viral, I'm pretty sure that the rest of the squad knew it. I'm pretty sure Bernie Sanders knew it. Elizabeth Warren, Sherrod Brown, uh, uh, Ro Khanna, Tulsi Gabbard. I'm sure they all knew it. So uh, this just go. And what are they rolling over for? AOC rolls over for a goddamn committee assignment. That's what they're rolling over for. Uh, what was the most disappointing part of the campaign season, the primary season for you watching the, the way that unfolded? We, last time we talked to you was, was in the middle of it, like the early stages of it. But most so disapp- much 
The most yeah. disappointing by far for me is when Tulsi Gabbard dropped out and endorsed Joe Biden because I thought she was making the proper critique all the way along, right? She was doing what I had been urging Bernie to do from the start. In fact, I had a conversation with Tulsi where I said, this is what Bernie should be doing. And she, and, and she did every one of those things. Uh, she called out the establishment. Uh, she called out the corporatists. She called out the intelligence community for Russiagating. She didn't Russiagate. It was unbelievable. You have a, a person in the military tell, not Russiagating, calling out the intelligence community and, and telling you the truth about our foreign war. So I was so excited about her because she was doing the proper critiques and she had the gravitas of being a soldier and serving in those illegal wars, right? So uh, to, to then for to have her drop out and endorse Joe Biden um, was before Bernie was had even dropped out. Yeah. So there's a lot of confusion about why that happened. I think, again, that was mishandled by the Bernie Sanders campaign. They they make friends. They make enemies out of friends. And right. that's exactly what they they did that through the whole campaign with Tulsi. She was the only one who had Bernie's back at every turn. He's still doing video uh, nighttime talk shows and his, on YouTube with fucking Elizabeth Warren. And they still shun everybody. It's just a and yeah. so and, and it's I've I've heard from every activist that I that worked on Bernie's campaign in 2016 that the 2020 campaign were a bunch of corporate assholes who didn't want anything to do with the grassroots in California. Here, the biggest corporatist motherfucker is this guy Anthony Rendon, who's the Speaker of the right. House uh, at the Assembly. Uh, it, and that's why we don't have single payer in California because they all run on it. And then when they get there, they go, I don't know how to do it. We don't have right. a, I don't know, how can you do it? That's who Bernie was working with. That's who Chuck Roca called up to go staff Bernie's camp. These ass, I'm looking who, and by the way, he's staying in the camp. He's staying in the race, kind of. So people, just, just so there isn't a third party, it looks like. So people can vote for him so he can have influence over the goddamn. It's the people that they're, re so they're replacing Bernie's activist delegates with corporatist delegates. I know people who are inside the, the Bernie campaign who are seeing these people that Bernie is putting forward as the delegates now, and they go, I've never even heard their names before. I don't even know who they are. Well, they're right from Joe Biden. They're corporatists because they don't want to have a replay of what happened in 2016. And if you remember what happened in 2016, Bernie's delegates knew they were cheated. They knew the corporatists were cheating Bernie. And so they were raucous. Like, you're supposed to be at a convention. So Bernie's been a go along, but he's a Democrat. That's the irony. He's not an independent. You know that. I know that. He's a Democrat through and through, which is why he'll never challenge Chuck Schumer. He'll never challenge Nancy Pelosi. And he votes for the screwing of America while pretending he got you something and then sends you emails. And then he does tweets all day about all the stuff we have to do after he gave away all his leverage. And he proved he'll never use his movement. He'll never use the power of his movement. And so what's the fucking point of it? Nothing. Bernie Sanders, the end of his career, I don't know how you survive because people are going to find out what happened in this CARES Act when they have to live through it. And Bernie's going to be running around saying, we got to have all these things. Meanwhile, telling you to vote for Joe Biden, who's never going to give you those things. And he's never using his power to get. So right now, Bernie's done. He stopped using his leverage to try to get things done. Months ago, he stopped doing that. Just so you know, this moment was tailor-made. It was as if Jesus the Lord invented this moment for Bernie Sanders to rise up and be, and he won't fucking meet the moment. On purpose, he won't meet the moment. I think that it's interesting, the question of the Ralph Nader thing. So there are two issues here. One is like, and I know I don't love doing the psychoanalysis stuff, but it's okay because we so rarely do it and we certainly don't waste our time doing it with Trump, which is the biggest like waste of time. And I need another op-ed written about his like mental state. But 
Do you think that when you said he doesn't want to be Nader, do you think that he, you're saying like on a personal level, he doesn't want to be blamed as a spoiler? Or you mean that? You don't mean that he doesn't want, want to be kicked spoil. out of the club? Yeah, yeah. Because Nader did not spoil it. That was well, not I'm not Nader, making but, that up. Right. That came right out of Bernie's mouth. He told Chris Hedges and Shama Sawant, in 2015, when they were urging him to run third party, and he said no, and they asked him why, and he said, because I don't want to end up like Ralph Nader. That came right out of Bernie's right. mouth. I didn't make that up. This isn't some theory of sure, mine. Right. But do you think he meant that as in, like, he didn't want to cause the the, the Dems to lose, or you think he meant that as, like, a more well, of a he still being thought, in the club? If he still thought in 2015 that Ralph Nader caused the Dems to lose, then he disqualified for being a fucking senator in the first place. But he also Russiagated, which should have disqualified him. And he won't stand up for the people in a moment like this, which should also disqualify him. And Bernie is showing his true goddamn colors. It's really easy to give speeches and say you want shit. But when it comes time to use your power to get it and fight for it, that's the big fucking difference. And he's never going to do that. So the Russiagate stuff is just unraveling like at light speed in the last few weeks. And it looks like it's, it's going to become a major issue in the general election campaign. Like, but Biden's name is now mixed up in, in it in ways that we never thought before. Um, it, it, does, does this is this why it was such a mistake for people like Bernie to ignore this issue? Because <laughs> yes. now now it's it's a, it's going to be a thousand times more of, right. of an issue going forward because the Democrats didn't deal with it when they it had gets a chance. in the way of a natural selection process. So do you think that it's uh, just a weird happening, happenstance, coincidence that a uh, nightclub comedian who smokes pot when he gets up in the morning was able to see through Russiagate from day one. But the, a sitting senator who's been inside politics for 40 years didn't see that this was a complete fucking scam by the Democratic Party to make sure we didn't actually do an autopsy on what the hell, how a Democratic Party could lose to a political novice game show host. The most well-moneyed political and powerful machine in the history of the Democratic Party, maybe in the world, lost to a novice game show host who was... Uh, really offensive somehow you love but so they never did that autopsy they right. did Russiagate instead right. why again at the same time fast tracking his judges helping him deregulate Wall Street again uh, giving him an extra 131 billion dollars to do bomb war as they say and then they expand his, his spying powers as they say he's a traitor to our country and should be impeached right. so those things don't go together what that tells you is this is professional wrestling that Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump work for the same guy because of what is wrestling wrestling is there's being paid by the same guy and we already know what the outcome is so we already know what the outcome is and uh they're all being paid by the same guy and this is all performative theater when aoc gets up and screams when bernie did that speech for the cares act pretending he got you something that was also performative theater that cares act was already set to pass and the deal was already set and bernie gave up got up and gave a grandstanding speech about a part of the bill he didn't even write so I don't know what the question was, but uh, I'll end there. It was, it was just about Russiagate. I mean, I just uh, oh, I was right, yeah. try, trying to oh. give you a, a chance to do a little yeah. end zone dance on that. I mean, and and also, yeah. And Aaron Mate, like who, who said before you do, I totally want you to do an end zone dance. But just to add this in, it's Aaron Mate really thinks that Bernie like concretely screwed himself by by um, not by wasting time on the Russiagate stuff. And he also thinks that the Russiagaters were intentionally using that against sanders of course sure they were yeah of course oh well so here's 
So Bernie Sanders knows Russiagate is garbage. He goes along with it because he's weak, like he always is. He never really stands up to the establishment. And he pushes red bait, an evidence-free conspiracy theory that red baits the president and anybody who happens to be a political enemy of the Democratic Party or even MSNBC doesn't like at the moment. And Bernie plays into that instead of standing up and having the courage of Aaron Maté or me or Matt or Glenn Greenwald, or Kyle Kalinske. He doesn't I have had the... you all on. Give me some, I, I get some courage, Craig. And I'll give Katie Helper the props because you yeah. brought us on. And he, and so does, you don't have the courage of a fucking podcaster? Get the fuck out of my life. Are you shitting me? And then he goes on, and then of course, and I said it, and, and I said it in 2016 when they started this shit, I was telling Jenk Uger and every, anybody who would listen at the Young Turks, which was zero people, that you know that this is this is if you know anything about history, this is always used against the left. So if you prop up this red baiting narrative, they're going to come and use this against Bernie. And of course, right before the Nevada caucus, all of a sudden the intelligence community says that the Russians are propping up Bernie. And now Bernie looks like a fucking idiot because he is because he propped <laughs> up that narrative, which is now used to undermine him. And then so they ask him about it and they, he goes, yep, well, uh, Putin should stay out of our life. He just sounded like a mo so when Bernie this whole campaign, he sounded like anybody else who was a Democrat. And that's why he lost. He he didn't he wasn't attacking the establishment of the Democratic Party. He kept running around calling Donald Trump a racist. That's not that wasn't the key to your success, Bernie, in twenty sixteen. Your failure was predicted by Chris Hedges' article at Two Broody. He said, Bernie, he said that his 20 campaign would be a shadow of its former self as it was in 2016, and he would immediately usher in the corporatists. That's exactly what Bernie Sanders did. It is jaw-droppingly remarkable what has happened. And not only that, the, and so the Russiagate is completely debunked now. It, the crowd, uh, crowd strike, which was the serve, the people who are running the server who said it was Russia. I bring Bill Binney on my show immediately that week. Uh, Bill Binney, which was the top code breaker from the NSA. He was a whistleblower. He outsmarted the FBI when they tried to entrap him. Bill Binney came on my show and he said if that happened, the NSA would have evidence of it and they would release it. They haven't released that evidence and it hasn't leaked, which means they don't have that evidence this didn't happen i've been saying that for four years you know how much shit i took for that yeah. you know how many lefties came at me for that calling me a conspiracy theories as they were pushing the number they're calling donald trump a conspiracy theorist and a fake news they were trump was right they were full of fake news they're all evidence-free conspiracy theorists let's remember what manufacturing consent has taught us the re the fucking primary the primary function of the media is to manufacture consent and if they're not doing that they're gone so why you guys would ever give a fuck about anybody in journalism in america is a mind blower to me after the entirety of this profession did a evidence-free red baiting conspiracy theory on the president of the united states in aid of one political party and they suppressed the evidence that would have debunked their theory it would be one thing if they got it wrong right. chris hayes yeah. rachel matter never once invited me on never once invited on greenwald aaron mate anybody to debunk or go against Matt Taibbi to go against their narrative not once which means they're 100 percent propagandists so why anyone would ever give a shit about what anybody in the New York Times the Intercept or the fucking MSNBC would ever say about them is a mind blower to me those people are abject failures and propagandists 100 percent and I'm better than them by a <laughs> long shot and I'm not even fucking trying
Right, but they're not even manufacturing consent entirely well anymore, right? So, like, I mean, the question I wanted to ask is: you're you're in this new space in the media now that its influence is just you know growing rapidly, uh, and I feel like mainstream news outlets are not aware of how little impact they have in the way people think compared to people like you and other other independent voices. I mean, are, are they just sort of blind to their decline in influence, do you think? You know, the news media consistently gets low grades for trust from the uh, from American people. Um, but yet they still seem to have amazing influence because look yeah, what just happened in this Democratic say. primary, right? That's true, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that, was, that was 100% manufactured by the media, 100%. Uh, so I don't, I mean, it was, it was aided and abetted by Bernie, 100% right. also. Yeah. I mean, when you run around telling everybody, yeah, you're right, Russia's helping me and Joe Biden's a great guy, you can beat Trump. What the, <laughs> I still, I mean, uh, so yeah, the media still, they still do have power. They still are ubiquitous. You still, you know, every every airport, every bar, every, even though, you know, we're in we're lockdown, but it's on, right? Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, I, whenever my college roommate calls me up, I'm like, I'm gonna find out what MSNBC has been saying. And that's exactly, <laughs> You know, <laughs> but you keep picking up. That's so nice of you. I, well, you yeah, got to You got to stay. You got to be in touch. You have to have your finger on the pulse of what of what these people are picking up. Right. What's that's working, right. What's sticking. Yeah. You know, and, and as 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 uh, Sam Harris used to say, he always liked debating Christian fundamentalists because uh, you never know what crazy thing's going to come out of their mouth next. Right. right. And that's how I feel about people who watch MSNBC and read The New York Times. You never know what crazy shit is going to come out of their mouth next. There's been a whole cottage industry of people in the last four years in both comedy and journalism whose entire repertoire is either making jokes oh. about Trump or just talking oh, about how, how terrible he is. And Trump, I, I, Trump, I know this Trump. is a thing, but can you just start, talk about the sort of crime of intellectual obviousness and how it's become like such a pervasive thing? It's it so seems to be a focus of yours in your show is just this relentless. So, so people you know, ask me, they're like, hey, why don't you make fun of Trump more? I'm like, oh, I think everybody else has it covered. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can't get away from it. Last night, it's funny. Uh, I was sitting in my TV room and the TV was on. I had it on pause and then it just started playing again. And it started playing uh, Stephen Colbert's show. It was on and it, he's doing Trump, Trump, Trump. I was like, OK. And then later, I don't know what same night last night, uh, Seth Meyers show comes on my TV. And so uh, I'm like, so to, to me, Seth is the I, I can stomach him the most. Right. And, and he so, was hard on Meghan McCain that one time. One time, he, one time he, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, so he did that. So he was, he did. I don't. It was like twenty five minutes of straight Trump jokes, and I finally turned to Steph and I go, Steph. He goes, she goes, is that all they do? Right. I go, I yeah. think that I tweeted out last night. If I was a late night talk show host, I would try to mix it up and do some Trump jokes just to differentiate. <laughs> yeah, myself. I saw that. That was great. Yeah. Like I couldn't. I'm like that's. And then I turn on Jimmy K. It's all. It's nothing but Trump jokes. It's like you guys never get tired of making fun of the village idiot. Uh, and then the news media also, by the way, uh, Ted Koppel was the one who pointed this out to Brian Stelter right in his face. And he said, you guys love Donald Trump. What was your ratings before and what's your ratings oh, after? Uh, yeah. And Brian Stelter famously said, well, it doesn't matter what our ratings are. And the entire room laughed right in his face. <laughs> oh, that's like that doesn't media. push them? Right. Yeah. That's, not their, that's by CNN's that. fucking media critic being laughed at about his media uh, a critic uh, analysis, right? And so that's the beauty of that's why I love live audiences because laughter is involuntary. 
Right. right. It's a reflex. And so people just reflexively laughed in his face and Ted Koppel just humiliated him. Uh, so, again, I don't know what the goddamn question was, but it's fun to make fun of Brian Stelter whenever I can. Don't you think the sort of relentless Trump jokes, it, it, it ends up driving people away from turn me off. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like I, when, he, so when he was first elected, I thought this is going to be the funniest thing ever following yeah. this presidency and and it's gonna like i i'm personally gonna just from a spectator's point of view i'm gonna be interested in it within a week of his being elected i, I just couldn't take it anymore and it's been four four years it's right so of corny. this stuff it's, i don't know it's so boring and so when i, I right. before the quarantine i would go up in comedy clubs in front of people who didn't know me didn't pay to see me on purpose i was just doing a set and right. so these are just regular people and then I would go up and I would say uh, I, I, exactly what I told you. I said, I, 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 a lot of people like to make fun of Donald Trump. I'd rather make fun of the people who lost to him. Right. That's, that's, that's more fun for me. And right. so I would launch into it and people would co go along. I mean, I think people are right where you are, Matt. They're where I am. They realize he's the village idiot, but Jesus Christ, how did you guys lose to him? How did yeah. you not have And why do you and why has nothing gotten better in my life? Why the Democrats took over the Congress? What have you guys done? So the, right. what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to pass Medicare for all and then make the Senate Republicans kill it so they can run on it. But they're not right. going to care for all. They don't want to run out. It's, it's I mean, uh, we if a foreign government took over our country and wanted to hurt us, they couldn't do a better job than Nancy Pelosi, uh, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump are doing right now. And by the, and the media just sits there and lets it happen. They bring on Nancy Pelosi and they high five her and call her queen. And oh, he, she called Donald Trump fat while well, she screws America, eats ice cream while people while there's 10,000 people in a fucking food line. Right. Yeah, we were talking <laughs> yeah, the, about how the luxury ice cream, the, the designer yeah. ice cream flavors. That was a great, great move. Yeah, yeah. super, super move. I, I don't think Trump's going to use that in the uh, campaign at all. <laughs> I, I know. Slash has, already has. What's your prediction about or do you have one about November or because uh, I'm, I'm kind of of two minds of this, like it, the Democrats are doing everything wrong, but they're all the data suggests that the, they still have a pretty good shot of winning the right. Democrats despite everything else. So uh, what's what's your thought? about uh well so, so joe or, biden is not as repulsive as hillary clinton even demented right. so, he, so he has a chance uh, uh even but, even dead right? even right. dead yes he has you're right <laughs> we can at biden's we got to make a thing of that yeah but at any moment trump could out left the democrats he's already done it several times right so he expanded medicare to cover people who are sick with coronavirus so if you get coronavirus you go to the hospital there's no copay. There's no this. There's no deductible. There's no after billing. There's nothing that you get taken care of until you're well, until you're completely well. And the government just wires the money to the doctor or to the hospital. That's he. The Democrats didn't offer that. They didn't come up with that idea. It was uh, it was Mitt Romney and Steve Mnuchin who wanted to do direct cash payments to Americans. Nancy Pelosi is the one who wanted to means test it and stop it. So it's very easy for Trump to outlaugh the Democrats, which is exactly what he did to Hillary Clinton. He promised everybody health care. He didn't give it to him, but at least he knew how to promise. He right. said we're going to he ran against the TPP. He ran against NAFTA. Now he read Wall, Wall Street, foreign and Wars, Wall Street. And, and of course, he feels his. Yeah. And, and then he goes and does the bidding of Wall Street uh, the new NAFTA doesn't help uh, people. But the Democrats passed it for him. So now he can run on it. 
It's unbelievable what's going on. So I, anything can happen, Katie. Trump could easily outleft the Democrats again. So this idea of voting for Joe Biden or Barack Obama or Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton was not the lesser of two evils. Barack Obama was not the lesser of two evils. Do you think John McCain would have been allowed with as much ease as the left allowed Barack Obama to kick 5.1 million families out of their house in the middle of a recession while he made the banks bigger, while he made the Bush tax cuts permanent, while he took us from fucking two wars to seven? Do you think they would have let John McCain and Sarah Palin do that without fucking screaming and fighting? They would have joined the people that occupy Wall Street. But the fucking corporate left went to fucking sleep. Barack Obama was not the lesser of two evils. Well, a lot of people, you know, they equate the rejection of the lesser of two evils philosophy that you're, um, you know, mm-hmm. mentioning now or um, that you subscribe to. They dismiss it as, um, um, what is it? Um, acceleration accelerationism which is you know the idea that it won't get better until it gets worse but that's not what you're saying you're saying it gets worse i'm saying it just keeps getting worse so so this voting strategy that they've been advocating since i was a kid since ronald reagan has get led led us to uh 80 of workers living paycheck to paycheck and donald trump so and and 30 million people don't have health care, 80 million people underinsured, 600,000 uh, bankruptcies a year. That's what the lesser of two evil. The rest of the world has this shit figured out and they're still protesting. The rest of yeah. the world has five, six fucking parties, health care, education and, and retirement. And they're still protesting. That's and so when you have the lesser of two evils, what it does is it silences people. When you advocate for the lesser of two evil voting, you take the legs out from underneath protest. I'm not going to wait until November to start protesting Joe Biden's warmongering. I'm going to fucking start right now. And that's what they're counting on. And that's what Bernie's counting on, by the way. Bernie wants you to shut up. Bernie doesn't want you to criticize Joe Biden or start a third party. Yeah, that's, that's his, what he should. That's his do. role is to make sure you don't start a third party. It's fucking brilliant. And he does it perfectly. I do think that there have been historic moments where there was logic to the lesser of two evils thing. But I also think there are historic moments when it doesn't have logic. Like I think Carter would have been a lot better than Reagan. But then once Reagan came in, it kind but of Carter created Carter wasn't an evil. Right, I, mean, right. I, I, yeah. I, think, right. I think the point is it does a lot more damage when you have d- Democrats selling free trade policies or right. Wall Street bailouts or yeah. or warrantless surveillance or endless war. Like the the the, the long term right. effect of that is that's that it takes away the that. ability to to protest any of those things. Right. And right. And right now, and right now, they're all uh, they're they're all glorifying the intelligence community and the right. FBI, the people who undermine the left. The traditional again, no sense of history whatsoever. Right. And I tried when I was at the Young Turks, I tried to do, you know, the FBI is going to infiltrate you if you ever get any fucking power. You know that. And now you're propping them up from a puke like James Comey and Robert Mueller, who lied us into the goddamn Iraq war. Robert Mueller on tape lying us into the Iraq war. And he's somehow your hero. So the country is on its way to collapse. I don't mean to be uh, to end on such a negative note. My cynicism cannot keep up with the Democratic Party's reality. Yeah. Uh, it, what, what is happening right now, it's, it's impressive, in fact. It's impressive how much they can rape the country right now and with a straight face and how the media gives them a pass. It's impressive what's happening. I mean, if you look at it that way, just on the sheer criminality of what's going on right now, it is unbelievably impressive. Here's another analogy. This is what's going on right now. Our house is on fire. 
the and the and the Congress, instead of sending the fire department, they sent a bunch of criminals and they robbed our house while it's on fire and they still didn't put the fire out. Right. That's what's happening right now. And people are telling me I'm too hard on Bernie, who they fucking added, voted for that shit. They added some kerosene. That's right. And not only that, he gave them cover. What I tell you, a betrayal of America, not just progressives, but every person who voted for that betrayed America. And what you and what and what people should be doing is pressuring them because that's what works. Idiots fucking pressure. You don't fucking defend them from criticism. You pressure them, especially after they just betrayed you a thousand percent at a nuclear level. And you don't know they did that because you're not fucking informed. You mentioned the the way that the people are supporting the FBI, the NSA, CIA. It seems like when I talk to people, there's it's it's younger people who are who are self-identifying as like on the left or Democrats for whom that's particularly true. It's like uh, it's is is why is that? Where where, where is this affection for the security agencies coming from? Like I don't I don't really get it. I just think it's it's a knee jerk response to Donald Trump and uh-huh. and they and they don't have any they're young so they don't have any sense of history about what happened. They're mm. not taught about what happened to Fred Hampton. Right. right. They're not they're not taught about they're not even taught about you know the New York police infiltrating Muslim uh, mosques and you know they're not taught about anything. Right. Not, right. Perfect so, example of that is remember the no fly list. I thought that was a great example. Like that was used as a democratic talking point and john lewis was presenting the republicans as you know traitors um because uh as an anti what was it It was a gun they made it into a guns issue Uh um right because you weren't supposed they didn't want people to get guns if they were on the no-fly list but they totally missed the point that the no-fly list was a totally racist islamophobic thing and that people who had the last name like you know who had a, a Muslim yeah, they were they were they were, yeah. they were informing employers and your bank and all kinds of I mean like all kinds of stuff that was yeah. terrifying you know if you just and you did, there was no process for being yeah, on yeah. or off the list so right right yeah but I mean Matt but don't don't you see don't you both of you see uh you know they used to say oh well the right wing media is in its its own world it's this this it's this non reality based world right well we have two yeah non reality based right. worlds now. So when I go on Twitter and I see grown up people uh, saying that, you know, Obamagate is just another hoax. And that it's it's a conspiracy theory. Yeah, it's a conspiracy theory. Yes, it is a conspiracy. And do you know people are charged with conspiracies in court every fucking day because they're committing conspiracies? Do you know what they were charging Trump with was a conspiracy with the Russians? Right. So that was a conspiracy conspiracy theory, though, that extra level. Yeah. Right. Right. And and again, there's going to be a rude awakening for people who think this is QAnon. It's not. There's, you know, right. Like, I get the overselling of it and everything, but there's stuff in this Obamagate thing that's real it's not going to go away right of course of course well first of all uh they, they go well flynn lied you can't deny that yes you can in fact the fbi said they didn't even think he lied if you look at their notes afterwards what they did was they fucking used so they had there were they threatened his brother his son with prosecution and they threatened him with other prosecution from his dealings with turkey and they said unless you agree to plead guilty to this russiagate thing which we we're not going to send you to prison for so he took the deal Right. That's what happened. If you look at the notes from the FBI, even they say they didn't think he misrepresented on purpose. And so what? And so there's the here's the key thing that people are missing. When the FBI went over to talk to Flynn, 
they already knew what was in that phone conversation because they had a transcript of it. Guess who else knew they had a transcript of it? He General did. Flynn. Yeah, he says so. that they, he goes, well, you guys have a transcript. Why are you asking me about this? You know what I said. And then they still charge him with lying. So what that is, is the FBI took a perfectly normal conversation that he had with a Russian ambassador. And they they then tried to get somebody, which is not a crime. And then they knew right. exactly everything he said in it, which was not a crime. Then they tried to get him to misremember something and said he lied. So that is it. They invented a crime. And that's what the FBI does all fucking time, by the way. They're nefarious, evil, criminal actors who have been overthrowing governments all their fucking lives. They admit it now on TV. The, de yeah. the ex-deputy director of the FBI was on Tucker Carlson three years ago, and he said, you know, it was, used to be our directive when we were in the FBI to make sure socialists and progressives didn't make it into uh, government because they would muck up government. He admitted that. Right. And how do they keep people out of government? They leak stories. They leak, that's just exactly what they did to Flint. They unmask people. They leak stories. By the way, that unmask, when they leak that story about Flynn, that is so criminal. That's more criminal than what Chelsea Manning. Yeah, it's a felony. It's a ten it's, year, ten years. Yeah. Not only so they there's the FBI committing the exact crimes that they're saying other people are committing, and it's worse. By the way, they lied to the FISA court, and then you get Jim Comey uh, comes out and says, "Well, you know, Mike's concern is is this systemic." Of course it's systemic, you fucking liar. Uh, the, the one time we take a look at a FISA application and we find 17 lies, the one time we get to look at a secret court filing and you guys are lying nonstop. Of course they're lying. The FBI is a criminal organization for fuck's sake. And that's why it's so depressing to me. And I would so, have such resentment for the people on the left who yeah. pushed and propped up the FBI. And, and I so told them to, my, to their face not to do this because this is what was gonna happen. And I thought they were all smarter than me and more mature than me. And they're all dumber than me, more cowardly than me, and they have a herd mentality. Mm -hmm. Well, in journalism, if you have a herd mentality, that's the death of journalism. And because I come from comedy and I'm not trying to get a job in fucking journalism, it's not nothing to it to see through this bullshit. How? Is it that I know this shit? Again, I'm not even trying. Right. Jimmy, what happens if all of this results in Biden winning the election in November? All of this behavior is going to, they're going to see it as being validated right. by Worth that. It. Yes, I know. Uh, Are you worried about that? I, I'm not. The, the bigger worry is what has already happened with the CARES Act, what's happened to our economy. And we're only slowly going to find out exactly how bad it is. So it doesn't really matter going forward. We're turning right. into Brazil. So the, the, and, and, and it's and, they're, and we're doing it to ourselves. You know, when I was a kid, one of the Russian, I forget who it was, somebody, a Russian president, I was real little, uh, said that uh, uh, America will not be destroyed from the outside, it will be destroyed from, mm. by, from the inside. That is exactly what's happening. People don't realize that their way of life is being destroyed right now by the people they voted for. They're doing it on unanimous votes. There's, they're ruining your country on unanimous votes and not one fucking person will stand up for you. Not one, even, even, on, a, even on a signaling bill, a wish list, they right. vote, they symbolic won't fucking bill, stand right. on a symbolic bill. Only, what was it, Pramila Jayapal or some yeah. one person voted against, it, that's it. So it, right now we're on the, the, we're on the Titanic, it's going down and the progressives are playing in the band. Right. So I just, I, I'm kind of, I'm on my show, I'm interviewing uh, 
organizers and union activists. Yeah. And I'm asking for their, I had Chris, Chris Smalls on, you know, the famous from uh, Amazon who was fired. Yeah. And then that vice know. president of Amazon, uh, you know, he, he oh, quit, the guy who quit. Yeah. And he, and he and allotted those people, the, the union activists. And so now they're starting to do more things. Juneteenth is coming and they're going to have a big action for that. They did one on May Day. So I have right. a, I have a strike page at my website. I'm interviewing awesome. those people. I'm going to have on some activists who helped with the Hong Kong protest. Now, I know there's a lot of problems with yeah. the whole Hong Kong protest, but what I want to do is, is follow their technique, the pulse. Uh, right. That I don't care what the politics were in Hong Kong. What I want to do is I want to copy their techniques of right, the tactics, protest yeah. because they're able to get three million people in the street of a six of a city worth six million people. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. That's real power. So that's what we have to do here. Instead of you know, like uh, I, if you if go to Occupy Wall Street, you're all eventually going to go home, and they know it, right? Just like Afghanistan, we're eventually going to fucking leave. They know it. They're still just waiting, right? So uh, that's why I want. So I'm I'm doing I'm putting my energy into things that actually could help instead of defending politicians right. and sending out emails and and fucking impotent tweets that we demand this. We fucking asshole, Bernie. Would you do something to get it? Would you actually ever use your following? Would you actually threaten pro the establishment to withhold your vote from them? You'll never ever do yeah. anything because you're an 80 year old guy who wants to be friends with Joe Biden instead of fuck that guy up. I just want to say one thing pro Bernie. And I think that I should be lauded for my um, how how much I how well you took this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, because I was really angry when Bernie dropped, as people could see in real time on useful ideas. But I do think that something valuable that Bernie Sanders did was he made he he tapped into outrage and now, you could say that he squandered it, but he did show what running on like more righteous indignation looked like. He also made it a lot easier for people to accept socialism, socialist concepts, all that stuff. That became way less radioactive. I think reality, you know how uh, people like to say 70% of the country is for Medicare for all now? Right, yes. 90% uh, of Democrats. I think reality made that happen. People wanted that when Barack Obama was passing his corporate giveaway in 2008 and he wouldn't even give us a goddamn public option. That was Barack Obama's choice. That wasn't Joe uh, Lieberman. That was Barack Obama's right. choice. Right. He went to Dennis Kucinich's district. He didn't go to Joe Lieberman's state. So anyway, so yeah, so I think, I, I, so yeah, credit to Bernie for, uh, for running on Medicare for all and making it his signature issue when it's super popular. Right. But to be fair, <laughs> no, that's true. He didn't have to convince people about that. But to be fair, he showed those issues were popular, were not fringe, the way right. that all politicians and media like to pretend. Yes, correct. Uh, Jimmy, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, keep keep, keep at it. Keep giving everybody shit. Show's amazing. So, And thanks so much for coming on. Hey, right yeah. back at you. I love your show. I wish you would do more of them. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, we, we do too. Do. We can. <laughs> yeah. All right. All thanks right, a lot, thanks Jimmy. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Right, thanks, Jimmy. So I really learned, I learned something today. What'd you learn, Matt? I learned that that you have more of a tolerance for listening to Bernie take shit than I thought I know. you did. I'm very, uh, I'm a very diplomatic. That was a host. major subtext of that interview was, was sort of monitoring your discomfort, your discomfort level. Right. During, during no, <laughs> I, I find it relatable. I mean, I think that something that we didn't really get to is that, is how much I think Bernie was dissuaded by Corona. How much COVID, like the um, the pandemic, uh, made him want to step down so he wouldn't be 
sending people out to their deaths. I mean, I, the only thing I would say is uh, Jimmy brings up an interesting point, and I think it's a troubling one for, for followers of Bernie, which is that if it ends this way, and you, you could look back and say, this was a massive exercise in appropriating protest energy and extinguishing it uh, and making it go to a counterproductive purpose, um, right? So there's there's a way now it, w yeah. with the way this totally ended. Against that? Well, no, I mean, I think I think I think there's a there's a narrative that that you could you could say this did more harm than good because it 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 it, it creates the impression that the movement um, was listened to, that it, it blew off some steam, and now now it's become it's been swallowed up and appropriated by by the Biden campaign, and now you know. According to sort of manufacturing consent theory that he kept re referring to, you know, that's the job of somebody like Sanders is to is to play the role. And I would never have described Bernie that way. I don't think that's who he is. I don't think he's right. a phony. No, but, no. Um, but I think that may have been his his the effect, if not the intention. Yeah, I think the the, the you can, you can make the argument that the ending looks pretty bad. For that. It is a bad ending, and then it also suggests that none of these things that Bernie fought for and. and revealed um, how popular they were, that those things are not viable. That's the other thing. Especially right. if he doesn't use his leverage. Like if he had used his leverage to move things the way he did with the Democratic platform um, in 2016, that's one level. But uh, anyway, Jimmy, Jimmy's funny, great stuff. We got some interesting stuff coming up next week yeah. for sure. So great we'll let guess. you know more about yeah. that soon. And, um, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Make sure you rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Um, also, get the merch. Get that merch. In fact, I really need, guys, I need a mug. Uh, on that note, thanks so much for listening to uh, Useful Idiots. We'll see you next week. Great. Bye. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.